As we come to the end of 2020, our, our minds turn to, to things of looking forward and, and reflecting back. And this year, desperately wanting to say goodbye to some things. It's a time of taking down and packing away and cleaning up. And for some, it's a time to look down and focus on some other things that we've packed away during this past year, like, like the woman who sarcastically looked at her husband who was sucking in his stomach as he weighed himself on the scales, and believing he was hoping to weigh a little bit less by sucking in his stomach, she sarcastically said, well, that's not about to help. And he just replied, well, sure it is. That way I can see the numbers. Well, there are some numbers uh, as we come to the end of our end of year stuff that we would also like to not be able to hold on to, like the 15 that uh, we want to shed or, or a 19 that we would desperately want to forget and a 50 limitation that we wish would soon end. And far more importantly, there's some dead weight that spiritually we've allowed to get in the way of who God designed us to be. And in that, now time to do a, an assessment of our spiritual fitness. And the passage we're considering this morning is an unusual one, but embedded in it are some important lessons. It is from 2 Kings chapter 13. And again, as we see Israel, they are in a difficult place. And this time it's the Syrians that are waging war and Israel just not having an answer. And in that place, we see King Joash coming to Elisha on his deathbed in order to seek God's guidance. And at first, it appears that the king is coming to submit his authority to Elisha. His words are earnest, my father, my father the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Now, this would seem to be Joash's way of saying to, to Elisha, uh, Elisha, uh, the army belongs to God. It's, it's yours. It's all yours. Your command, you're in charge, everything. And in response, Elisha turns to Joash and says, open the windows eastward. And then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. And the whole idea in that is that his victory was going to be accomplished through a bow, through a sense of power, a, a sense of what he would bring and God would use this bow and those arrows to accomplish his victory. And that part would make sense to, to the king. Because the, the whole idea of, a, of shooting an arrow eastward uh, signified that the hostilities would begun, begin. In other words, Israel wasn't just going to sit there and wait Syria to do whatever it wanted. We're, we're actually engaging the war. And shooting it eastward is to suggest that the king is going to reclaim all the land that Syria had taken. It's the claim the, the area to the east. And it's... In case it was missed, Elisha took his hands and put his hands over top of the king's, representing that the power didn't come from Joash, it came from the, from the Lord. And in case Joash missed the symbolism, Elisha was very explicit. 
He said, this is the Lord's arrow of victory. This arrow is not in your control. It's in God's control. And the lesson was very clear. It was God's power, God's battle that he faced. God would take care of the battle. And as long as Joash used the battle and used the arrow in accordance to God's instructions, the victory was assured. So, by obeying the prophet and shooting the arrow eastward from the window, Joash was assured of the victory at, at Opheth. The Lord's arrow guaranteed it. So, so far, all good. It made sense. The, law, the Lord's presence obviously there. An enemy's winning streak about to end. And then everything went south. He said, take the arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. Okay, now it's getting confusing. Because this instruction was harder for the king to understand. With this one, God wasn't so clear. An arrow shot? Okay, I get that. I understand that. That's the beginning of war. But striking the ground, what on earth is that supposed to mean? And it's possible that striking the ground could, the expression could have been used for shooting arrows, but Scripture is very specific here. And the word used is clearly for striking, not shooting, which suggests that the striking the ground is exactly what Joash is being told to do. And he does, to a point. And then he stops. Because after all, this instruction was confusing. And apparently, Joash was less than convinced. But Elisha certainly wasn't. He was angry. And he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Now, we could come back with, hey, come on. A little bit more information would have been nice. I mean, how was I to know what you wanted. If you wanted five or six times, you should have said. And truth be told, that would have been my response, or at least my thoughts. Come on, I'm not a mind reader. How was I to know? My hunch is, is that you listening has probably had the same, the same thought. You would have been right there with me. After all, Joash did what Elisha told him to do. You told me to strike the ground, and that's exactly what I did. I complied with what you said. Why would I ever think to keep at it until you thought it was time to stop? He obeyed. Obligations met. Rules followed. Conditions fulfilled. He complied. And I think that is where the problem was. He complied rather than believing that God wanted more than compliance. I'm not sure if that sounds familiar with, to you, but it often sounds familiar to me that I comply with God without digging in and going further of what you're asking. Admittedly, Joash didn't know the full implication of what striking the ground would accomplish. But I think it's fair to say that the prophet was calling him to full-out obedient adventure with God, faith-filled, intimate, passionate, following after God, leading, following God's leading. 
what God wants for you and I. He wants a victorious relationship with God. Not, not stepping in, toe-testing the water, but plunging in, trusting God for who He is, following where He takes us, going for it. Stepping into an awareness of God that mere compliance will never allow us to have. Mere, merely just following the, the limits of what God we allow God to be. We'll never know what that means to really have a life of faith-filled adventure. Because compliance gives us a, a view of God that he's somewhere, he's in our lives. Rather than understanding that God wants to be powerfully, completely here, transforming and allowing us to do what he calls us to do. And so not knowing where God's instructions would take him, Joash stopped. In truth, his response, and probably not much different than yours, that I want to know the outcome of his leading before I declare myself to be fully in. I, I want to know what, what it could look like down the road where my faith is actually defined by ironclad assurances and mapped out conclusions. I need to know destination. Where in truth, my faith isn't really faith at all. It's possession of blueprints and well-traveled roads. And so, Joash stopped. And instead, he calls you and I to trust fully in God, not in the outcomes he promises to give, but the assurance of who he is. That he is God supreme. He is God who loves us. He's a God that cares for us. He's a God that wants to lead us. That he knows me, that he loves me, and that he holds for me and he fights for me. But instead, our response is a little bit more like the gazelle. A gazelle is one amazing animal. A gazelle has said that it can leap to heights of three meters in one bound, and it can leap to a distance uh, of 10 meters in a single bound. So 10 meters up, or three meters up, and uh, 10 meters long in one jump. And those are great skills in trying to get away from a hungry predator. Yet in a zoo, these Olympic marvels are actually contained by a fence that is only one meter high. And they, these gazelles who are amazing leapers become non-jumpers and non-leapers. Why? Because the gazelle will not leap unless he knows and can see where he's going to land. If he can't see where his feet will touch down, then he won't bother to try. And in truth, our faith grazing nibbling is exactly like that, head down because we're not sure what, where God might take us. But as Christ followers, God has called us to be a people that will leap and bound over walls. That we're to be a people that will be called to impact our world. People whose families are different. People whose marriages are different. People whose workplaces are different. Whose neighbors are different. Whose city is different. Why? Because the Lord wants to, to demonstrate his power in us and through us. Not necessarily in the dramatic, 
but in people that know that we walk and trust and follow a Lord that is real to us. But instead, we settle in for so much less. And I'm fairly certain that is why Elisha was so angry with Joash. Because Joash's action fell far short of what pleased God. And he quit long before God told him to quit. We're not told exactly why he quit, but I think we can make some reasonable assumptions. I, I would suggest that the first one First reason he stopped is striking the ground is not what a king does. I mean, I'm a king. I, after all, I've got to look kingly. And, and striking the ground looks maybe what a foot soldier does and it may be what a servant does, but a king, to him, those actions look foolish and frankly, they look demeaning. So let's just get this striking the ground thing over with. And it was his pride telling him to stop, and our pride, because it's not how I want to be seen, and instead, our default is wanting to look like those around, we want to be acceptable, we want to be fitting in, we want to be a people that sort of just go along with the others, rather than a people that can demonstrate we are excitedly in love with Jesus. People that aren't afraid to joyously worship. People that aren't afraid as we gather together whenever that day might come. That aren't afraid to raise up their hands in praise. Unashamed and unworried about what people around us say. Because we are here to worship the Lord. People who attractively live out the gospel to a hurting, answer-needing, seeking world. And I wonder, could it have been Joash's need to hang on to appearance and control, his pride that kept him from experiencing the great victories that God wanted wanted him to accomplish? And I can't help but wonder, I wonder how many victories I miss miss out on because I do the very same thing. My pride settling for appearance rather than victory. Settling for the norm instead of unashamedly being a Christ follower. Settling for a look that looks looks a little different than those around. Ratcheting down my worship and too often hitting the mute button for my faith. So I think our pride is often one reason that tells us to stop. I think the second thing would be that striking the ground is not how a king's arrows are best used. I mean, as any warrior knows, striking the ground with your arrow is is going to do some serious damage. I mean, you can bend the shaft, and you could have the fletching splayed. (laughs) The trajectory of its its flight, it's going to be ruined. And the result, the arrow's flight will have an uncertain path. And that'll just disadvantage the warrior in, in battle. And so... Joash, easily to say, <laughs> Elisha, I get the symbolism. I, I understand. But as a fighting man, uh, symbolism, it doesn't actually do it. I need my weapons tuned and ready. You don't enter battle with broken records or broken weapons. And I, I get it. I, I get it. You told me that the battle is the Lord's. But sometimes battle plans, have, they have a way of going awry. So just in case... I'd like to hang on to some of my resources as a fallback plan so I can be certain that everything lines up. 
and our need for control getting in the way and telling us to stop. Where we live half in, my plan with some God added in. A believer in Jesus, just not a full-out follower. Because God, in actual truth, I'm not fully at peace with your plan. I mean, my enemy is bigger than you think, and your plan, rather less than what I think, at least less than what I want. So I'm hanging on to some things that I know, just in case. Faith in things that I understand. Admittedly, faith with an out clause. And Joash's problem, just like ours, is that we don't fully accept that the battle is the Lord's. That the Lord is in control, not me. I think a third thing that caused difficulty is striking the ground is not the best use of a king's time. As a warrior, the upcoming battle means getting the gearing up for action. It means meeting with the commanders and outlining the battle plans. It means mobilizing the resources. The one thing it doesn't mean is standing around and robotically striking the ground. And Joash knew what a battle-fit warriors would look like. I mean, they were fast and powerful and equipped. They had time in the gym. They, they had hours in the archery range. Motivational speeches, I'd done all that to mobilize them. He, he wanted to get to where the real battle would be waged. And because a battle-tested warrior, he knew what the battle required. And, and striking the ground with arrows isn't part of it. Our arrogance telling us to stop, that we won't let go of things. And I wonder, as a Christian sometimes, if we do the same. We run around doing the good, we plan the programs, we strategize the events, we engage the community, all the while spending little time in the place where the enemy is truly defeated. Staying in the place where we are called to strike the ground in prayer. Relying on the victory of the Lord's arrows rather than our own. Not our programs. Not our singing. Not our speaking, but in the place of prayer. Because we are told that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, told us that in James 5.16. And we miss that place. Our eyes are on the wrong battlefield. Our real victory, not achieved by rushing to the place where blood is first spilt. It's remaining in place with the one who understands the battle in a way that we can't. It's trusting what he knows, where he leads, because he alone has the power for victory. Another thing, striking the ground is not going to help a king win the battle at hand. The saddest commentary about the story of Joash is this. He had no understanding of the battle that God had called him to fight. See, he was so preoccupied with the upcoming battle that he failed to understand that God's desire was so much more than an individual victory. Joash's Joash's purpose was to defeat the enemy. 
But God's purpose was to destroy the enemy. And missing that, Joash settled for a life of endless battles, battle after battle with the Syrians. When God had called him, strike the ground, and I will give you overwhelming victory that the Syrians will no longer be a a presence for you. And so too, we too often, because we don't have the faith to follow God, we we don't experience the full victory that God wants us to have. Because experiencing victory means placing our faith in a loving, redeeming God who wants to work in us and through us. We're told, we're told in Hebrews 11, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, the interesting thing is, we're told, is that we must believe that he is. He is. Okay, I believe he is. But that's not what God's saying. Believing is, he is what? Believing that he is God. That he is supreme. That he is master. That he is power over everything. He has power over our circumstance. He has power over our difficulties. He has power over our uncertainty. He has power over every place. He is God. And knowing that he is God and embracing that he is God, then he tells us, as God, he is the rewarder. We aren't to go after the God to gain the reward, we are to go after God to gain God. God's awareness in our lives of his power. It says, in that, he is the rewarder of those who seek him. The rewarder is what he does. The God is who he is. And he desperately wants to be known as the God who is in our lives. So as we step back, on this very hard and very confusing and very difficult year. Is Joash's story simply a chapter in the life of a king or is it immeasurably more? Is it something that as we approach the end of the year and we step into the new year in just a matter of days that he wants to change our understanding of who he is in our lives for you to understand your life? where he calls you and I to step into the victories that he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. And the greatest tragedy, one of the greatest tragedies is the believers of Jesus and is the church of the risen Christ. We greatly underestimate what God wants to do in us and through us and because of us. We settle down instead of surging ahead. We toe dip instead of jumping in. We graze and nibble instead of taking large leaps. Most often, we strike the ground one or two times instead of striking the ground until God brings victories in our lives, in a transformed life, in a transformed church, in a transformed city, in a transformed people 
around the world. We are told by, by someone who works and knows the international scene very well that there is an amazing revival going on of people coming to Christ in other parts of the world, in China, in India, in Vietnam, and uh, places that just seeing revival of people coming to Christ in numbers they have never seen before. Because they know that there's no place that they can depend on. There's no vaccine. There's no masks. There's God. And if our dependence is on a vaccine or our dependence is on a mask, God would have a say. No, your dependence is in who he is. So here's the question for you and me. Is it compliance? Or is it full-out obedient adventure with God? Is it a transformation that begins as we bow to Jesus and allow him to make us fully alive in him as we worship the one who is fully alive in us? And and it's what Paul was saying when he said in Ephesians, to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's a great verse. But if it's only a verse, to understand that power is something that says God has given to you and me. So our call, individual, church, open the windows and shoot eastward. And strike the ground repeatedly with faith. Understanding that that God wants to transform you and me and change us so that he can use us to bring a flood of people who will come to saving, transforming faith in Christ. His people stepping into the victories that he would have us give Because he's told us his incomparably great power. And that power is the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. It is the promise. He says, it's my arrow. It's my victory. Just trust me. Strike the ground in faith, believing and see what I will do in you and me. May you know that as you say goodbye to this year and you say hello to what God will want to do from this day forward in your life. Let's pray. So Lord, this year has been a confusing year and uh, there's times that we have not been able to make any sense of a lot of things. But Lord, we, we want to reaffirm to you and say our confidence is in you because of the blood of Jesus, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives of coming to faith in you, that you are the forgiver of our sins. You're the one that makes us new. It's not our ability, not our strength, not our wisdom, not our eloquence. It's you. And so, Lord, we thank you for this. And, Lord, as we close the chapter on this year, we pray that you will work through us. And, Lord, you will open, help us open our windows to see where you're taking us. And let us shoot into the places that you call us to go. We pray that in the name of Christ. Amen.